0: I remember a mentor saying to me at one point, when you die, do you want your headstone to say, here lies a woman who had a lot of great ideas? Or do you want it to say, here lies a woman who did a lot of great things?
1: You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries, a community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blosman. Buckle up for the ride, Femme mechanics. Calling all women who love their ride. I would like to introduce you to a -a one-of-a-kind women's motor fest. You will not want to miss this sisterhood celebration of women-owned whips. Cars, trucks, motorcycles, ATVs. If it has a motor, it belongs. Ladies, this is our MotorFest. Boys are welcome to attend, but the spotlight will be owned by the women in their whips. Check out all the details by visiting womensmotorfest.com. Bogey Leitner is in the driver's seat today. Bogey is a master technician, businesswoman, teacher, speaker, industry spokeswoman, and a TV host. Her love for cars started when she was 16 years old. She worked as a BMW dealer technician for seven years, and in 2006 started her first auto repair shop, 180 Degrees Automotive, in her driveway. Bogey is the fan's favorite in all-girls garage an educational television show about vehicle repair. In 2017, she started Bogey's Garage. Its mission is to encourage the entry of women into the automotive industry, providing learning opportunities and foster connections between women of all ages and skill levels. Now let's sit back and enjoy the ride. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B. coming to you, and I have Bogey Latiner in the hot seat today. How are you doing, Bogey?
0: I am doing fantastic. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Maybe we can have the blooper reels. (laughs) I'll have a sequence of blooper reels of all the fun technical stuff. I think we need to. Right? (laughs) I want to thank you for being on the show. You are officially the 100th episode. You and I met literally years ago now. It's crazy, right? I know. At a women in automotive, no, yeah, women in automotive.
0: Women in auto care. Yeah. No, it was women in automotive. You're right. It
1: was women in automotive. I have to make sure I keep, those are different. One is like dealer focused, Yes. Right? So. Yes. But prior to that, I met you on the set of All Girls Garage.
0: Oh gosh, that's right. Even before women in automotive.
1: Women in auto care.
0: no. I think it was Women in Automotive.
1: Women in Automotive. God, I keep flipping those around. God bless (laughs) it. Go to both of them, everyone, because they're both awesome, but they are different. They are both awesome, yes. I was kicking around. I got to meet you there. Can we share a funny story with the listeners? Of course, yeah. I had reached out to you prior to that and said, you know, hey, I would love to get you on my show. And hey, let's keep in mind, at that point when I asked you, Femcanic Garage had just launched, the podcast had just launched, I don't even think I had. 10 episodes yet. So this was in 2019, and I don't even think we had met yet. So this is before. And you will never let me live it down. (laughs) But here's the thing I think there's a great lesson in this because here's the thing, and I'll go back. I'm very particular about the women that I have on my show, and I've explained it multiple times. And anyone who's listened to the podcast knows that I exclusively feature women, yes, in the automotive skilled trades, yes, all that. But I'm very particular about featuring women that lead with their intelligent grit and skills first and their sexuality second. I love being a woman. I love femininity. I love all of it, especially if my children happen to listen to any of my podcasts, which they could if they wanted to. Sure. That's who I want them seeing their mom highlighting. Yeah, fair. Do you know what I'm saying? You certainly foot the bill. But when we first met, I asked you, and it's scary asking. Other people to be on your show. Yeah. It's no different than asking someone to date. Sure. It is different, but what I'm getting at is there's still that fear of rejection. Yeah. And you shared with me when we ended up meeting and you got to know me a little bit, you were honest with me. And here's the lesson in it. And the honesty was, Jane, I didn't say yes right away because I didn't know you as a person yet. Right. And I think as entrepreneurs and as business people, there's such an important lesson in that. And you've learned it through experience. And the lesson that I learned from you about that is we fall in the trap of saying yes too much. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. There's some irony in that, right? Because I feel like, you know, a lot of like the personal growth coaches, they're like, say yes to life, say yes to everything. And there is that piece, right? There is also the beauty and freedom (laughs) that comes from saying no. And that that is equally important. Like my time is valuable. We have very little of it in this life and I want to fill it with the things I want to fill it with. Not saying that interviewing with you is a a negative whatsoever, but I didn't know who you were at the time. I get asked all the time, as like if I did all of the interviews and the free car show appearances and all of the things that I get invited to, I would have time for nothing else. Yeah, And so it feels awful saying no to people, but at the same time, sometimes you have to say no.
1: Sometimes that's the greatest form of self-love. Yes. Right? In the pre-interview, you and I kicked around and our pre-interview was a little different than a lot of my traditional ones, because here's the irony that you've done a lot of these. So we didn't spend a ton of time on the technical stuff. So there's the irony for you, right? (laughs) And here we had technical challenges.
0: For those that are listening, we spent the first half hour of this trying to figure out technical stuff. (laughs) Right.
1: So there's the irony for you. But part of it is figuring out me getting to know the guests more. But you and I have hung out at multiple shows, got to know each other a little bit. And Just to give a little background, I kicked around the idea like, man, 100th episode's kind of a big deal, right? I'm like, who would I want that to be? And I'm like, I really wanted it to be you because there is no single person, no name that has been brought up more times from influential, positive, inspiring aspect than your name I've talked to hundreds, thousands of women, but official interviews, Canic Garage interviews, there's no single person that has been brought up by more women than your name. And I'm like, seems fitting that she's the hundredth episode. So thanks for saying yes. But my whole point in this and where I'm getting to this is your career is well documented. You have multiple websites you're on TV, we do all these things. And I thought, what do I want to learn from you? I don't want to regurgitate your career and what you do. Sure. We'll have links to all of that and people can access all of your stuff in the description. But what is it that other women can learn from you and that I can learn from you that isn't well-documented? And what do I want to pick your brain on? And that's when I came to you and said, I would love to pick your business brain it's the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. That's a perfect example of it's not that you told me no necessarily, right? Well, you kind of did at first. It, it was more of not now. Yeah. Which buys you time to get to know me because another thing that's really important to you which I respect greatly is you want to make sure that whatever medium or format or company that you work with aligns with your goals and values.
0: I definitely do not want to be a part of things that are not in alignment with who I am and what I'm all about. And so there is an element of like, I need to do that research. I need to look into you. And it's an interesting thing because in that moment, when I said not now to you, I don't like saying no. I don't like hurting people's feelings. So there's an interesting tool that I've used for myself, because I don't like saying no, is to be able to kind of create an alter personality for myself, which sounds really silly. In that instance, I blamed it on my agent that I don't have. (laughs) <laughs> right? Like I don't have an agent, but I was like, I appreciate the request. I need to speak with my agent first. <laughs> it's my way of being able to separate myself as silly as that is. I've done that a lot in my business. I've done it with my old auto repair shop. When I was hiring people, I knew that I am a softie. And so I would do the first round of interviews as Susan, my assistant, who I also don't have, right? Yeah. (laughs) And and Susan would do the first screen, and it was what allowed me to be a little bit more business than my nature, which is a little more like, let's just all get along and love everybody and say yes to everything. (laughs) So weird little tricks that we learn to deal with our stuff.
1: I don't think it's just a you think, Bogey. I think society teaches women kind of to be that way. Yeah. I guess what I'm getting at is... I kind of want to dig in to those little lessons in behind the scenes because you have a lot of experience. You've owned your own garage, your own company. You own your own company now. You are the face of the company and the face on TV shows, right? But there's a business aspect to all of that. And I feel like as women, we do ourselves a disservice in a couple of directions. One is valuing your time. Your time is worth something. And you just shared some kind of tricks of the trade of, hey, I know this about myself. Here's some tools that I have done. And that I use to navigate some of the challenges that I know about myself, and that's okay. Yeah, and you know, kind of to your
0: point of we're taught that way as as women, and I think very much to a degree we are. Don't be too big, right? Don't make too much noise. Don't be too assertive. And I think as women, we get a lot of mixed messages too. Be independent, but not too independent, right? Be strong, but not too strong. And there's this sense, I'm not exactly sure exactly how it gets communicated to us, but there is this sense of, you know, we we need to be the nurturers. We need to take care of other people. We need to not say no, especially when it comes to other people's feelings. Like, don't hurt other people's feelings. Don't put yourself before other people. And it's it's an interesting thing, especially when it's it comes to... How do I want to say this? Like, we're taught that we're going to be less attractive either to a partner or just as a human being if we're too much, right? Whatever that too much is, too independent, too fierce, too strong, too vocal. It, ironically, I think often it does, but, um, <laughs> but who cares, right? Like, I, I want to be all of me regardless. But I think we are definitely taught that. And, re- and it's reinforced by society.
1: Yeah, I've even seen how when women play that game, they're almost rewarded for playing that role. Oh, 100%. You know, and that's quite honestly disheartening to me. It is. Yeah.
0: There's a woman who comes to mind immediately and I'm not going to say names, but she um very powerful, very intelligent woman. Like she is savvy and Nobody knows. Like she is the smarts behind her and her husband's business, and she plays dumb and she plays that stereotypical blonde airhead. Like she plays this role. And if you're smart and you're attentive and you're looking at it, you can see that she is the brains of the operation. Yeah, and she is a an amazing businesswoman. And for her, it works because she's doing the. It's kind of fun to be underestimated. Yeah. And she gets to kind of get away with stuff because she's not offending anybody, Mm -hmm. right? And so there is this weird game that gets played. Like, I know if I'm less assertive, I am more likely to get what it is I'm trying to get.
1: Isn't that interesting? It's very
0: interesting because when you come off too big, you put others potentially in, in defensive mode and it kind of stops conversation, And so maybe there's more of a lesson for just communication in general than it is for women in particular, is this sense that I am more likely to get to the end result that I want if I am willing to be in conversation with you rather than being assertive and dominant and trying to win the game. Directive. Yeah. I think men are definitely rewarded for being direct, right? When a man is aggressive, it's called assertive. And when a woman is aggressive, it's called bitchy, right? It's there.
1: If you weren't going to say it,
0: I was. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Right. But at the same time, like, I don't think either are good. I don't think it's good when men are being assertive, aggressive, or when women are being bitchy or even too assertive. Yeah, There is something to be said about honey catches more flies, right? And- when you do approach things from a perspective of calm and from a perspective of less assertive, being assertive in what you're doing, but doing it in a softer way for men or women, I think is actually more effective.
1: I agree with you. In just listening to this conversation, what do you think holds women back as entrepreneurs? 100% themselves. Do you think society does in any way? You know... When I first
0: started my auto repair shop, I really thought that I was going to have issues with customers not wanting to do business with me. I thought I'd have issues with vendors not wanting to do business with me. At the end of the day, yes, I probably did have a few. They self-selected. Nobody was walking through my door that wasn't okay with a woman doing repair work for them because they knew I was a woman. And so they weren't going to come in if they had a problem with it. In all honesty, none of those were issues. There wasn't any any of what i feared and i had to come to terms with the fact that it was it was me it was my own internal voices my own inhibitions my own fears that tended to hold me back and there's kind of multiple layers to this right because i do think there's a piece that we start to internalize other people's voices I came up in the industry when there were not a lot of women out in the field. I was in the industry for six years before I knew another woman like me. And
1: I had been- Was it Lori?
0: No, I actually wound up working with another woman at a BMW dealership, which was just insane to me. I met Lori kind of around the same time, but- I'd never met another woman who does this, and I'd been around a lot of men who were not okay with me doing this. So I'd been told a lot the you can't, you shouldn't, you don't belong. Did your parents support you? Ultimately, yes. I think they'd support me. Just confused by it? They were confused by <laughs> it, and I think I think a little disappointed at first, but then they came around. Uh, there's some stories that I could tell there. But what I was getting at is that – I started to internalize those voices. And I think as women, we often do. And I think as human beings, we often do. You hear enough times that you don't belong and you start questioning like, well, do I? If you have a parent that tells you you're stupid enough times, you're going to start thinking that you're stupid, right? And at a certain point, it transitions from the other people's voices to your own voices. I tell this story often. There was a moment when I quit my job and I was starting to work on cars in my driveway. I'd started my business which basically constituted me calling all my friends and saying, I quit. I'm going to start working on cars in my driveway. Come bring your cars to me. And really bad way to start a business, but we can talk more about that later. Um, or maybe not. Right? I know. My, my naivety and ignorance may have served me in the end, but I remember this moment where I was sitting on my front stoop. I was working on this car. It was a Toyota V8 that needed a timing belt. And I had said yes, because I was saying yes to everything. And I had never done a timing belt because I'd worked for BMW my whole life and BMW doesn't do timing belts. And I remember being super overwhelmed by it. I had nobody to call. I had nobody to ask. I had no computer resources. I had to just figure it out. I was absolutely terrified by this. And there was a moment where I felt beat by it. And I was watching people walk down the street. And in my mind, I was making up stories that they were looking at me and laughing. Like, who's this little girl trying to fix a car? When's the guy going to come outside and help her? Like I'd made up all of these stories. And I had this moment where I was sitting there. I'm like, they are not saying any of that. They are smiling and saying, hello. It's me saying that. And I am getting in my own way. And I... Had to learn over the years, and I think I still have to learn over the years. We, we, we—it's a constant struggle. It's not an overnight thing where we're suddenly fearless and can do everything. It's a constant journey. But I've had to learn to quiet those little voices, like to hear them, like I hear the little devil on my shoulder being like, "You're not good enough. Who do you think you are?" Right? And finding a way to tell it to shut up and be like, "I don't have time for you right now. I'm gonna go do this thing anyway." But it's our own heads. It's our own selves that hold us back. We limit the size of our dreams. We limit the possibilities in front of us. We internalize all those messages we've gotten as kids. And we think, oh, like that's success is for other people. Or I'll dream really small so I don't get disappointed if it doesn't happen. And I'll limit what I'm trying to accomplish. You know what I mean?
1: I know exactly what you mean. And just to kind of backpedal just a moment for something that you said, where you took the leap yeah. and the leap was calling your friends, bring me your car. I'm going to fix it in the driveway. Let's do this damn yeah. thing. Right. Yeah. And I love studying people and I love observing situations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Tony Robbins, whether you like him or love him, hate him, whatever, he learned from a mentor. And I think there's something to be said around success leaves clues right? Success leaves clues. I started Femcanic Garage Podcast because I wanted to learn and I wanted to help women uplift them, give them a platform. And the more I started diving into it, the more I realized, you know what, I want to give more. And part of that giving more for me with my background is around women and money, right? When I hear you talk about that and just diving in, I started observing and trying to figure out why women don't go after it. Are those little devil voices stronger for women? Why is that? Like, is it all kind of tied into this don't be too big, just kind of blend in? Because part of being big is taking the plunge and doing something that you're not quite sure you know how to yet.
0: It's an interesting thing and I don't know that it's specifically women. I think men also hold themselves back often. And I think there are plenty of women who do dream and set huge scary goals. It's a practice, like I said, right? It's not it's like showering. You have to do it every day. It's not a one-time <laughs> thing, right? Personal growth is not this one-time thing where you're like, "I've arrived. Everything is great now." I am clean. Right? I smell good. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like none of us have arrived and no matter like how it looks from the outside, none of us have our shit altogether. And you know, some of us fake it better than others, but none of us know what the heck we're doing half the time. We're just, you know, f- fake it till you become it to a degree, but it's, I don't know. I can only speak from my experience as a human being who's followed a career path in automotive. I don't know what it's like outside of automotive. I think there's a particular thing that happens to women in a male-dominated field where they are by far the minority and often not wanted, outwardly, adamantly, vocally not wanted. I was always that bold little kid growing up. I was the kid who decided to take off and live in a different country for my junior year of high school despite my parents not wanting me to, where I didn't know the language and I didn't know anybody.
1: What country was it?
0: I lived in Hungary for a year.
1: What language do you speak there? Uh,
0: Hungarian, okay. which is nobody else in the world speaks it. I should have gone <laughs> to Spain or Japan like my colleagues did and actually learned a useful language. No offense to Hungarians, but uh, not a lot of people speak it. But <laughs> anywho, like I was always that daring person. I picked up and moved cross country. I I went on a cross-country road trip with a car that I had just rebuilt in high school. Like I was always that bold person, and I think because my parents raised me that way, I feel like I lost that when I was a mechanic, when I became a mechanic and I was working day to day in a shop that very much did not want me. And I think I lost a big piece of myself, and I don't think I would have had the nerve to start my own business had I not been surrounded by folks who really cheered me on and held me accountable because I had become fearful. I was not a fearful person to begin with, but I became fearful. Those voices in my head started to exist because I had been told these things enough times that I really started to question whether I belonged and whether I was smart enough or good enough. And I fortunately found my way into personal leadership, personal growth kind of program and had gotten really involved in it. And it had—it was like a brick over the head was like, hey, who the heck are you? Who have you become? You, you are in a relationship with, um, with an alcoholic and you live in a house that you hate, in a city that you hate, in a job that you hate. You are a miserable human being. Why are you not doing something about this? You have lost a part of yourself. Like all of these things kind of became very apparent to me. And I started to make changes in my life and I started to rewrite my life, but I was still working at the dealership. And it took a group of folks from my personal growth kind of community saying, We've heard you talk about this enough. If by the time we all meet up again, you have not put in your notice and started your business, like, they held me accountable. I remember a mentor saying to me at one point, when you die, do you want your headstone to say, here lies a woman who had a lot of great ideas? Or do you want it to say, here lies a woman who did a lot of great things? And it was being around all of those people who allowed me to take that leap because I had lost a piece of it. I wonder if that's a thing that happens for other women, that maybe they started out strong. But ending up in a career where they're so adamantly disliked and unwanted, how that creeps into your subconscious and you start to believe it.
1: it have to. Yeah. You ultimately ended up opening up your own shop. Yes. That shop was open for how long, Bogey? Uh, 13 years. Yeah. A while. Yeah. Why did you ultimately decide to close it? Whew, um because I had to come to terms with the fact that there's only
0: so many hours in the day and I can't do everything. I was finding that I was doing everything not to the best of my ability. I had I
1: wanna make sure the listeners just because they may or may not know yeah your complete story, yeah. but just to kind of round off the edges, that wasn't the only thing you were doing while you're running your shop. No.
0: I was running a general repair shop. I had eight employees. I taught regular car care classes there. We had an art gallery in the space. So every month we would have a different artist come in and do art openings. And so in addition to the shop, I was also coaching and teaching shop management to shop owners around the country. So I was traveling and teaching. And then I was doing All Girls Garage as- On um, Motor Trend. On Motor Trend. Although then it was Velocity, right? Correct. Correct. That started about three or four years into owning my business. And then I started doing the shop management coaching. And then I started doing the all-female builds at my shop. So I actually, not at my shop, I bought another building to do these all-female builds. And so I had that going and this going and the other thing going. And I really realized that I had signed myself on for too much. And I was doing all of it well but not great. And I was getting lost in the process because I had zero time. I, I didn't remember what the inside of my house looked like because anytime I was in it, was it was dark already <laughs> and I was going straight to bed. So something had to give and I had to make a decision on what I was going to do and what I was going to give up. I sometimes regret the decision that I made, but at the same time, you know, we can only look forward and other opportunities I might not have been able to pursue had I still owned it. I miss it. Yeah. But something had to give.
1: And just to kind of pull it into the theme and what were the main focus of this interview topic, which is entrepreneurship. When you started your garage, did you have an exit strategy? No. (laughs) No. If you were to look back, you know, wearing your entrepreneur hat, what advice would you give other up-and-coming or maybe veteran entrepreneurs?
0: I think it's really important to know why you're going into business before you go into business. And that will translate into kind of your exit strategy as well. There are people who go into business strictly as Entrepreneurs. It doesn't matter what the business is. It could be a lemonade stand. I could be selling widgets. I could be an auto repair shop. I could be whatever. And it doesn't matter what the thing is. It is a business. They're going in to make money and be profitable. And like maybe they do some cool stuff while they're at it and they're great bosses, but it isn't really about the thing, it's about the business. And then there are business owners who go into doing the thing because they love it and they're passionate about it. And they really believe that they can bring something to the world that is different than what is out there or provide it a service to people that they truly are passionate about. In my mind, they're passion-based entrepreneurs. And those are two very different things. If you are a strict business entrepreneur, then your exit strategy is relatively easy to decipher. It's, do I want to pass this on to a family member or do I want to sell it? And when I sell it, what is that going to look like? Did they keep the name? Do they keep the collateral? How does that all work? And it becomes a strict business decision. When you're a passion entrepreneur, it's a very different game because you want to see your child, your baby, your business continue to live on after you. And I think in the business world and the entrepreneur world, we talk a lot about exit strategy. The thing that nobody really talks about or prepares you for is that if you are a passion based entrepreneur, if you're not prepared for it, it can catch you very off guard how much it hurts to see your baby not thrive after you're gone. Mm. And that is something we don't talk about. And I've talked to a number of entrepreneurs about that as well since, and they're like, oh, I didn't think about that. Like how hurt they'd be. Yes, there's the financial this and talk to a lawyer and talk to an accountant and talk to you know, all of these different things to make sure you're setting yourself up right when you sell a business. But nobody prepares you for the emotional piece of it or talks about the emotional piece of it. So if you are a passion entrepreneur, if this is something that you love, know why you're doing it think about what's going to happen in the end. Do you want to sell to somebody who works within your business? Do you want it to go away when you decide to not do it anymore? Do you want to sell it? Do you want to have it go to your children? I think it's important to know what you want. And in life in general, it's important to know what you want, right? (laughs) You can't get where you're going if you don't know where it is. And I think a lot of folks generally get into business without having a roadmap and without having thought about any of these things. That's why
1: 95% of small businesses fail, right? They're just focused on the widget thing and the – is that what you mean? Well, either – I don't know. I think, honestly, the widget – the
0: fo- the people who are focused strictly on the widget are probably more successful in the end because it's just purely business for them. Mm-hmm. But the passion entrepreneurs, I think a different game because we tend to be a, like – I have this great idea and I think I can bring something beautiful to the world and I'm just going to drop everything and I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to put my heart into this thing and I'm going to pursue it without a plan mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because we're just so driven by passion. <laughs> that Sometimes, you know, I always described having a business as, especially when it's a passion business or when you don't know what you're doing first. If you've never been a business owner, if you've never done this before, it was like having a child, I had an infant that needed my care every moment of the day. If I wasn't working, the business wasn't making any money. It was just me. I didn't know how to do anything. There was no instruction manual that came with this. Like I had an infant. And then it started to grow a little bit and it was like it was a toddler, And I was just spending all of my time running around trying to keep it from sticking its finger in an electrical stock socket, right? I became an adult daycare center. You
1: have great analogies, by the way, Bogie. (laughs)
0: Well, thank you. (laughs) Analogies are my superpower. And that was like the fire putter outer stage, right? When you get into a certain point in your business, you realize that mostly what you do is put out fires, You're just kind of running around like a chicken with your head cut off because you've gotten busier, you have more business, but you still don't actually know how to run a business yet. You're still learning. You're still that new parent and you don't quite know how to handle it. And often that stage of the business is when most people shut down and fail because they don't know how to make money and they don't know how to run the business and the business is growing and the demand for their business overwhelms them. And they haven't learned how to be a business owner. And it almost killed my business as well. What saved you? It was actually a friend of mine who looked at me and said, "Bogey, this is not sustainable. You are either going to hurt yourself or hurt somebody else. You are killing yourself and something needs to change. And so I started going to shop management classes and I joined what's called a 20 group where I was surrounded by a group of peers who were all supporting each other in making their businesses better Part of it was realizing I wasn't alone because seeing other small businesses have similar struggles and feeling like, okay,
1: normalize. This isn't just me because I'm a failure. And not just any small business. Correct. I think there's a key message in there. This is for me. I'm speaking this out loud here. If the 20 group, what I'm interpreting that to be, you said that they were other shop owners. So translating it into multiple industries. Correct. It's really about surrounding yourself with peers, yes. with a common goal. Yes. And I was part
0: of both. I was part of groups that were lots of different types of businesses. Mm-hmm. And then I was part of groups that were strictly auto repair shops. And I, I think that it did it did two things. It normalized. Like, these struggles are not unique. You are not the only one struggling. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, it's, it's reaffirming. <laughs> You're like, okay, it's not just me. But then it also gave me examples of success. And especially when it was specific to my industry, when I was meeting with other shop owners, I could see and hear about tangible systems that they had put in place that helped them improve their business, ways that they figured out to see if they were losing money and to seal up those holes in the bucket. And so starting to do all of that is really what I had to rewrite my business, right? I had to rewrite my life. I want to
1: call something out where there's like an underlying thing here that you said, but I just want to emphasize. Not only did you make the decision to be a part of these groups, but there was a decision that had to be made before you became part of those groups. And that's an investment in you. Yes. Right? And that's the thing that kind of goes back to, ladies, there is nothing selfish about investing in yourself in your personal growth. I have this sticker in front of me and I have these like some of these motivational things around me in my podcast room here and one of them is believe and invest in the possibility of you. That means getting help. Yes. Who you are now got you to where you are now. But if you want to go to the next level, you have to get help and expand beyond who and what you're already doing.
0: And if you're not willing to invest in yourself for your own sake, know that you are investing yourself for other people's sake as well, right? I cannot serve my community. I cannot serve my customers. I cannot serve my employees. If I am burnt out or hitting a brick wall or ready to give up or not sleeping or not eating, right? I can't serve anybody else. You put your own mask on before you help anybody else. And You cannot serve others if you are not serving yourself.
1: Airplane analogy. Look at you just sliding those in, bogey. Sliding them in. (laughs) I'm telling you. Analogies are my superpower. (laughs) Like a ninja. (laughs) Like a ninja. It's
0: true, though. And you have to. And it is the scariest thing. And it is expensive. And sometimes there's moments when we're like, how do I justify Spending some of the groups are eight hundred dollars or more a month, and that was fifteen years ago when I was doing it. And I was like, "Oh my god, that is a lot of money," and I can't imagine doing that. But I'd get my investment back.
1: Let me ask this just directly, leading up to that decision. That's why I wanted to call that out because that's a thing that I didn't know if that would come out in your story. But we don't do this alone. No, when you see air quotes, the successful people, whatever success looks like, and whomever you follow. And if that person emulates whatever you define as success, I guarantee they didn't get there alone.
0: 100%.
1: Maybe it was a group they were a part of. Maybe it was family support. Maybe it was both. Yeah. Right? And I think we need to make sure we call that out. But you bring up a good point. When I look at a lot of these groups that you would invest in, a lot of them are male-led, mm-hmm. especially when you're talking about skilled trade. So I imagine those shop classes or groups, you might not have been the only female, but you maybe you were, but you were probably the minority, I'm guessing, right?
0: Yes. And that is slowly starting to change. But the other women that were in the automotive group that I was in, they were part owners, but they were the wives who became owners because it was their husband's business and they handled the office or the marketing or the whatever and nothing against any of that. But it was a different experience. I think And I think this is a struggle that a lot of new business owners, especially passionate entrepreneurs fall into, is sometimes we throw the baby out with the bathwater. In my mind, I was so fiercely committed to this idea of I was going to do it differently, right? I was going to throw out everything that the automotive service experience looks like. I was going to do it different. It was going to be better. It was going to be... Like I just had these ambitions to kind of turn everything on its head. And so I threw it all out and I started from square one. And as I got further into the business, a lot of things that my old dealership or my old independent shop, things that I hated about them, I started to realize, oh, that's why they did that. Okay, that makes more sense now, now that I'm wearing my business owner hat instead of my technician hat. Sometimes we don't see the whole picture when we're playing one role and we don't necessarily understand why a thing is in place, why a system is in place, because it, it actually does serve the business in the end. And so I had thrown the baby out with bathwater and I said, nope, I'm not doing any of these things. I don't like anything about the way the automotive industry is done. I'm going to change it. I'm going to do it different. And I was really hurting myself because just because there are things that do need to change about the automotive industry and that there's ways that I thought that I could do the automotive repair experience better. There are a lot of things that are relevant and that work, that are true from business to business, regardless of what you're selling or what service you're providing, that the rules of business and marketing and customer service are all the same. And there's, there's reasons for some of those systems. Like it works, So I got to be around other shop owners and see, oh, okay, like that's the reason for that system and how it would serve my business to do that, that having systems doesn't
1: restrict me. It actually frees me. Systems and processes, right? Yes.
0: Oh, I was so against systems and processes. Oh my goodness. Now I'm like- Standard operating
1: procedures. I'm the
0: biggest fan of it. But I remember one of my coaches back in the day saying, Boogie, I want you to write a list of 20 ways in which your life would be improved through structure and discipline. And I was like, but I hate structure and discipline. She's like, I know. (laughs) That's why you're going to write the list. And I thought it was going to trap me. But what I learned is that those structures, those systems, those processes, structure and discipline actually freed me to have more time. It freed me to spend more time on customer service, just being able to hang out with one of my customers on the couch because I could, because I had systems and structures in place to allow that. Yeah. We tend to be fearful of things that will constrict us. Or we think will constrict us. We think will constrict us. And in reality, they free us. And I'm such a big supporter of systems and processes now. The other thing that pushed me into doing all of this and growing my business from being the toddler that I was running after to being the relatively self-sufficient teenager was getting All Girls Garage, Mm -hmm. which forced me to not be at the business all the time. Every time I would take Wednesdays off. Every week I took Wednesdays off and I worked remotely because that was how I started to train the business into being able to exist without me. But a
1: day is no big deal. Ooh, ooh. Say that again, Bogey. To
0: train the business to be able to live without me and to operate and function without me.
1: That is so important as an entrepreneur. It's when you make
0: the switch from being a solopreneur to being an entrepreneur.
1: A solopreneur is I
0: own a business, I sell widgets, but I am the only one who sells that widget. And if I'm not working, making the widget and selling the widget, then we make no money, which basically means you own a job.
1: Yes. It's no different in why entrepreneurs leave corporate America in the first place. They're just trapping themselves somewhere else.
0: Right. We quit our 40-hour-a-week job to work 80 hours a week (laughs) for less money for ourselves because we want to own our own business. Like That goes back to where I said, like, know why you want to go into business. If you're going into business for yourself because you want to have freedom, (laughs) no. If you're going into business for yourself because you want to make lots of money, You might, but it's going to take a while to get there. Yeah. And the freedom might take a little while to get there. Like you'll get there eventually, but that's not why you should be going to business. That's right. Know why you want to do it. And it should be, or ideally it's because you think you have something of value to offer and because you're willing to stop being the one turning the wrenches. That's an important call. Because when
1: you are... That's important to understand.
0: Yes. You can become a solopreneur and that's fine, right? You can quit your job and become a solopreneur and you can fix cars in your garage and that's fine. But again, you will never have the freedom or the money that you think you're going to have. That's right. Because you're gonna be wearing all of the hats. You're being a business owner, you're being a mechanic, you're being the, the customer service representative, you're dealing with the legal and the bookwork and the taxes and the all of the things. And so you don't have time to do the wrenching because you're busy doing the other things or the other things don't happen because you're doing the wrenching. That's right. And your business fails.
1: Wait, let me tie something together for everyone. Because I think it's in what you all described there. Why do processes and structure help with that? And the reason why processes and structures are so important, and it ties back to your mic drop quote, (laughs) right? As an entrepreneur, that next level is teaching your business to operate without you. And that means by you not being there. So what do they have to lean on when you're not there? Yeah, The processes and structure. Systems and processes. And having built
0: up their confidence and bought them in, getting them to buy in, your employees to buy in, picking the right employees, instilling value in them, instilling confidence in them, to be able to continue to operate without you. And those systems and processes help with
1: that. It helps build that confidence. That's the freedom, folks. Yes. You cannot do it all yourself. No. Mission to millionaire. I'm looking, searching out 10,000 women to teach them how to be a millionaire. The key here is you can't do it all yourself. No, it's impossible. And how do you make money when you're sleeping? Right. When you're not at work, you want to become a millionaire? Very few people, a small percentage of people, become millionaires from their day job alone.
0: It's not even. Do you want to be a millionaire? It's do you want to be able
1: to pay your bills without
0: working a hundred percent of the time? I
1: see. I w- I'm thinking bigger, bogey. I want women to flourish. I uh, know. I I agree. I agree. But I
0: think sometimes that scares people off. And yes, like it's baby steps to thinking big. Sometimes, right? And so let's pay the bills first, right? Like. <laughs> If you are a solopreneur and you are doing it all yourself, you're going to trade working a 40-hour week to working an 80-hour week for less money because you will never catch up. You you may do okay. You may have some good months. But if you go on vacation, heaven forbid, you're not making any
1: money. Now you've got to make that up again when you get back. And I want to call out, you're not saying it's bad. No. No. Some people want that, and that's okay. That is okay. Just know it before you go in. Yes. Be clear about that when you make the jump.
0: Absolutely. If you plan on or want to have the freedom to go on vacation and have your business make money without you, then you need to have employees. Then you need to have systems that support those employees. If you're okay with being customer to customer, dollar to dollar, paycheck to paycheck, month to month... If what you want to do is wrench for yourself in your own garage, then that's great. But know that that is a very different life plan (laughs) or business plan than being able to be at the point where you can travel, where you can take time off, where you can end the day at a reasonable hour, or where you can feel confident that you're going to have money next month.
1: And I'm going to expand people's mind even more. Let's say you want to do the wrenching. And be that solo solopreneur for the purpose of wrenching. You can do that and, you know, air quotes, not live paycheck to paycheck. Sure. But that's not the only thing you're doing. Maybe you're a property owner and you have multiple properties making passive income. There are ways to be able to do that, but it's not that alone, right? And there's
0: a lot of time. Like you make sacrifice in the short term for long-term gains. Right. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I think we as a society struggle from. It's, oh, I see these business owners who have all this freedom and I want that. So I'm going to start my own business. And we go in blind, not knowing why we're doing it. And also not knowing. You see them at year 10. You see them at year 10. That it took them 10 years to get there, right? That when I first started my business, it blows people away when I tell them this because it's this realization that I am human and like I had the same struggles that they do. My first year and a half of being in business for myself, I waitressed at night. And that's okay. That was how I managed to pay my bills because I was building a business. I was doing everything. I was working around the clock. I was working a side job. I was doing all the things because short-term sacrifice for long-term gain. And when you compare yourself to people who've been in business for 10, 15, 20 years, yeah, they have freedom now, but they spent the first handful of years, if not the first 10 years running after a toddler, right? That was their business. (laughs) And it takes a while to get there. Yeah. Much like having a child. Once they get to college and they go live by themselves, yeah, now you've got freedom and liberty and time and money. But you had to put 18 years into raising them first,
1: (laughs) right? Yeah. Wow. I could pick your brain on this forever, but in the (laughs) sake of being conscious of your time and there have been so many knowledge bombs that you have dropped here before we launch into the red line round. Is there any other key thing that sticks out to you that, man, if I would have known this when I started, this could have been a game changer for me? Um. I mean, I think we've covered
0: most of those things, the game changers of joining groups, learning about business in general. I strongly recommend if this is something you want to do, like go experience the other roles in a business so that you know what all of those are like. Start going to 20 groups now before you've started your business.
1: Was it worth the investment for you, Bogey? I mean, 800 bucks a month. That's not chump change. That's a mortgage.
0: I got that back tenfold. It was terrifying to do it. It made me broke in the moment, but it was 100% worth it. I think the biggest thing that I will say is this. In life, we are often surrounded by crabs you try to climb out of the pot that's boiling and there's another crab to pull you back down again. And we're around negative people. We're around people who are jealous of success and want to pull you back down. They want to share in their misery. They don't have the motivation themselves to go off and do big things. And so they give you shit for it when you go do it. And I think even when it's not that overwhelming or that explicit, there's a lot of that that we are around constantly negativity that we are just around. And when you are around people who think small, it will be very challenging for you. We're out of
1: fear in scarcity. We're out of fear.
0: Then you will never be able to think big. If you want to be a millionaire, hang out with millionaires. If you want to be a hugely successful, Entrepreneur, hang out with hugely successful entrepreneurs. And more importantly, hang out with people who say, that's a great idea, let's do it, versus, why the heck would you want to do that? Hang out with people who are like, yeah, let's go. How can I support you? Yeah. That's the difference in the world. You become the sum total of the five people you spend the most time with. Choose those five
1: people wisely. That's brilliant. And proximity. And this is what you're saying. Proximity is so powerful, people. It is. Who you are around. And I have to share a quick story with you. Yeah. When I left my day job, I worked for Safe Light Auto Glass for about seven years. And I always said, you know, they were amazing to me. And I always said, the only reason why I'd leave Safe Light Auto Glass is to go to my own company. In October 31st of 2021 was my last day with Safe Flight. And I put in my two weeks notice and the obvious question everyone always asks, oh, where are you going? What are you doing? And said, I'm going to go to my company full time. And, you know, people see this now, but I've been working with and Garage and to your point, the infant toddler piece yeah. since 2019. This isn't like brand new, no. right? It's still new, but I got to a point where... I knew that if I didn't make the jump, I never was going to. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And it doesn't make it less scary.
0: <laughs> no, it right? does not.
1: I have two kids and you worry about like all the... Sure. I mean, you talk about the monkey mind, right? That little devil on your shoulder. It's, mm-hmm. It was hanging out for a decade with me. I've always felt like a square trying to cram myself in a round peg hole in corporate America.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm a serial entrepreneur. That's who I am. I can't undo that. Right. I made the jump. And what a lot of people don't know is that I did not share with my family that I left my day job till over a month after I left my job. I didn't. And it's for that reason that you just described bogey. And my family loves me. I know they love me. And oftentimes your family are the biggest, strongest crabs pulling you back into the pot. And not because they're jealous or maybe, I don't know, but it's because they wanna know that you're okay. Because they want the
0: best of for you.
1: Yes. They wanna know you're okay. And I told my dad about, I don't know, a week or two after I told my dad, he came back and he's like, When you first told me, James, I was a little I was a little scared for you. And then come to find out, and I never knew this, he's like, I'm gonna help you in any way that I can, Jane, because it's what I wanted to do when I was about your age, maybe in his 30s. He's like, I always wanted to go start my consulting company. He has six degrees, brilliant man, engineer, undergrad in physics. But when he shared it with my grandfather, his dad, he pointed out all the obvious things. Mm. What about healthcare? You have kids, you have this. And what about pension and retirement? And like all these things, right? And I know those are all risks, right? Yeah. And he said, that's something I always wanted to do. And he respected me for making the jump and going after it. Absolutely. There's a balance
0: there. That's such a powerful story. Yes, know about all of those things. Those are serious, real things, right? Don't let them stop you, but be aware of those things so that you can put things into place to find solutions for them. If you don't think about the risks, right, they will catch you off guard and they will debilitate you. But there's a reason why companies do strength risk assessments. What are our risks? What are our strengths? What are the solutions for those risks? How do we temper those risks? So that yes, we can go after that thing,
1: Or be willing. Am I willing to accept the risk? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I didn't tell anyone because I didn't need anyone reminding me about the questions that I don't have all the answers for yet. Right. Because I didn't want to give power to that little devil on my shoulder telling me I can't. Well, and it's
0: okay to not have all the answers, right? And it's okay to admit that. I totally understand the fear of telling people and and fear of that judgment and fear of, Are they going to be supportive or are they going to try to hold you back? Are they going to talk you out of it um, when you're already scared enough as it is? It's okay to not know all the answers. I think it's important to seek out what all the questions are, though.
1: Ooh, that's... Man, you're full of these mic drops, sister. (laughs) You're full of them. And I'll tell you the other question that I was asked often after I shared, hey, I left my day job. Like, my partner and I have been together, shit, I think next month will be eight years. Ooh. Think
0: it's pretty important that you should know that I feel like I
1: know the date. I just I'm thinking of the how many years it's been. It's it's 514. Also probably I think your partner would be upset to know that you don't know that. I don't know. She can't remember her own age. I have to remind her of her age. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> then you're probably fine. She's like, "What am I? 45." "No, you're 44." <laughs> so it's an ongoing joke. But the follow-up question that a lot of people end up asking me is, "Well, when you were leaving your day job, your cushy job, what did your partner say? Oh, yeah, I got that. That seems to be a popular question. And when I told my partner, she looked at me and she said, it's about time. And, you know, not everyone will have the support of their spouse or partner. And that's tough. No,
0: but I feel like that's part of how you know if you're with the right spouse or partner. It's how I knew I was not, right? I started reading business books and his uh, the response, this partner that I was with at the time, no longer because of this said, I feel like this business is more important to you than I am. And that was the response. He wasn't happy about it. He wasn't thrilled about it. He was outwardly very upset about it. And, you know, it was a sign that I was in a relationship with somebody who didn't want to see me be successful and to see me live my dreams And for multiple other reasons, but that's partly why that relationship
1: had to end. Yeah. We need to be around people who are supportive. And to my partner's credit, I have a tendency to hyper-focus. I have ADHD and that's one of my thing. It's a gift and a curse at the same time. Yeah. If I'm passionate about something, man, I can. But she also puts the brakes on to make sure that I have balance too. If you're a passion entrepreneur, you can get lost in it. Oh, yeah. And lose yourself in it and the people around you. Right? I resemble that statement. So there's definitely a balance with that. Ooh, girl. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to launch into the red line round because- I don't know what the red line round is.
0: But I will also say that like, I have kittens asleep on my lap. So even if we end this, I can't get up anyway until they wake (laughs) up on their own. Because it goes against like the feline gods, I think, that you cannot wake a sleeping kitten- I don't know. Or
1: a cat. Like I feel guilty moving when my cat's laying on me.
0: <laughs> but particularly when they're only 10 weeks old. You're like this is a moment of adorableness. Yeah. And I can't I can't pick her up off my
1: How many's on your lap? Oh, it's just one. She's
0: just spread out so it feels like two. Um Oh, the other two are asleep next to me. They're asleep next to me.
1: Okay. Okay. She's making herself big. So, listeners, if you heard some wrestling around or some crashing or some crackling clanking, Bogey, you have four? Three kittens. Three. Three kittens running yes. around her house and knocking shit over and being kittens. Yeah, of
0: course, now they're settled in and quiet and sleeping like angels. <laughs> but at the beginning of this call, they were like, ooh, empty Amazon boxes. We're going to play in those as loud as we <laughs> and knock can. knock them
1: into things and off <laughs> of things. And yeah, that's the way it goes. That's yep. the way it goes. Yep. <laughs> so- what is the red line round? What the red line round is just five rapid fire questions. There's no right or wrong answer to them. Whatever pops into your head first is the right answer.
0: I always do so badly at these. <laughs> You'll do oh, fine. God. All right. Oh, I'm the worst. Okay. You ready? No. Okay. <laughs>
1: these <laughs> are bad. You're going to fly through these bogey. All right. Who or what has been your inspiration throughout your journey in the industry? See, I do
0: awful at these. Um Everybody who I encounter inspires me in different ways. Sometimes it's inspiring me towards something and sometimes it's inspiring me away from something. But everybody who I've come into contact with is an inspiration in one way or another.
1: Oh, good answer. Where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you feel stuck? Again, everywhere. I'm fortunate to have surrounded myself with a
0: lot of people who I can go to. I have what I call my board. You know, it's like a board of directors, but they don't actually have anything to do with my business. It's just the people who I know I can reach out to yeah. no matter how far they are. And, and say I'm stuck, help me. People who will, when you are stuck, ask the question of are you ready for solution or do you just need to vent? It's a powerful question. It is. It really is. But you know, those people who I know will be there for me and, and cheer me on and that I do the same for them.
1: Love it. What excites you most about what you do?
0: Um making a difference, even if in just a tiny way. I want to die knowing that I've moved or been a part of moving the needle, even if just a little tiny bit on how women experience the automotive industry, either as consumers or as participants, as technicians. I want to know that I've made the path uh, of those who follow behind me um, that much easier, you know, the young women who are coming into the industry now. So being a part of making a difference. And, and I will say the other thing is when you see the light bulb go off, when you're teaching whatever it is, whether it's personal growth, shop management, or basic car care class, when I see the light bulb go off, and they're like, Oh, got it. That is the moment that I live for. I love those moments.
1: Parents have those moments with their kids. Yes. Yes. I
0: don't have children. So all of my students are my children.
1: Yeah. No, I get it. Quick question for you. This is not part of the red line. Do you know that you have already done that? Sometimes. Do you receive it?
0: No, no, I do not. The beginning of this interview, you you said how much my name is mentioned and it, it's still, and I said, that's so weird to me. And it still is because I th- I feel like it's never enough. Like, I feel like I've never done enough.
1: But yet, to the people around you and the women around you, you've done more than enough
0: in that wild I know, it's great. I feel like it's um it's a thing that's like social justice folks kind of experience is that burnout of you know we're trying to make really substantial change, and you don't necessarily see it in your lifetime, and it's sometimes hard to see. Uh, the forest for the trees, we tend to only see that we haven't gotten there yet, right? But I think about, you know, the women who were involved in getting women the right to vote, right? Women's suffrage. The women who were fighting for it in the beginning didn't live to see it happen. And that is a like, I can't imagine that. I mean, I guess I can't imagine that. I feel like that's what I'm like it never feels like enough because we haven't gotten to that place yet where I am not a female mechanic, where I'm just a mechanic who happens to be female and where that isn't a weird thing. And we haven't gotten there yet. And so I feel like it's not enough. I always feel like there's more I could do.
1: My hope for you, Bogie, is that you can receive that.
0: No, I, I don't. I don't own it.
1: Because after interviewing... So many women. I'm not kidding. Like, I was having the conversation with my partner, and I'm like, I think Bogey would be the perfect 100 episode. And my partner's edited a lot of my episodes, not all of them, but a lot of them. And she's like, Well, her name has been brought up the most out of all of them. It seems fitting. And you probably don't have the time, you're crazy busy (laughs) to go back and listen to all those. And I get that. But Being the one that was there interviewing all these women and to hear them talk about you, Bogey, and to sit here and talk to you right now. My hope for you is that even though maybe all of them haven't, and maybe never will have the opportunity to truly share with you how you have moved the needle for them, and then all those hundreds of women go out into their own world, their own lives, and impact women. It's a ripple effect. You and I had this conversation in the pre-interview where the one thing that often isn't talked about being an entrepreneur is that sometimes it feels really lonely. Yeah. It's hard for you to see that impact, right? And we're human too. Like that's why this is relevant. Shockingly
0: enough, I have tears in my eyes having this conversation like cuz it is it is a thing. Right? We are we are human. And often when you are an entrepreneur or when you're in a leadership position in, in life in general, in whatever capacity.
1: And sometimes you didn't even ask to be put in that role.
0: Right, right. But there becomes this expectation that you're not human all of a sudden, that you don't have emotions or feelings or insecurities or challenges or fears. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm human. I struggle from the same holdbacks and inner voices and fears and challenges as anybody else. And one of one of those things is this pressure that I put on myself that it is never enough and that I don't see that impact. And I think teachers struggle with this a lot. Yeah. Right? Nobody goes back, like think about it. How many of you have gone back and told a teacher who was influential in your life to thank them? Yeah. They may have made a huge difference in your life, but you never Never go back to middle school to tell Miss Johnson that she changed your life,
1: right? Yes. What a great lesson to all of us to take a moment, especially with email, social media. It is so easy to find people and drop them a line. Like we have no excuse anymore, none. And that's why, I don't know, a year or so ago, I sent you a random message. (laughs) I think it was a text message just to say thank you. And after I said, it, I'm like, Oh, my God, I hope she doesn't think I'm creepy. <laughs> like that thought went through my head. I'm like, that's not <laughs> the intention of it. But I just wanted to say thank you and let you know that I appreciate it. And, you know, listeners, whether you've had an opportunity to work with Bogey closely or get to know her or not. Um, I'm going to share a quick story. And the the story is this. And it that advice that you gave me in that moment, Bogey, I think changed because I passed it along, that story along to a young woman, amazing woman that struggled with depression, fights through it. Amazing woman, amazing interview. She was open about it. And she's helped so many other people because she's shared her story about working through all that. And she wants to be a race car driver. And I interviewed her. And here I was watching this young woman, this amazing young woman, share her story. And it's an amazing story. And she couldn't see it. She could not see it, Bogey. Yeah. And I just stopped her. I said, you're already there. Yeah. You're already there. And she was speechless in the interview. And the story I shared with her is this, Bogey, and it's because of you. And it's what I messaged you about. At Women in Automotive, that was the first time that we actually hung out. We talked, yeah, a little bit. But that evening of that first night, I walked up to you at the conference, the beginning of the conference, said, hey, do you remember me? We met at All Girls Garage taping. You're like, yeah, yeah. And we're chit-chatting and just down to earth, just chit-chatting. I was with Connie Mangevinos and Madison Irving, two amazing women too.
0: Yes. a Wonderful women.
1: They're just amazing. Yes. And you said, hey, you know about this dinner with Jody Devere and, you know, it's kind of like the who's who. Jill Trotta was there. There's like a bunch of who's who in the automotive industry as it relates to women. And you were adamant about making sure that I was at that dinner. You made sure I made it to that dinner. And I just remember sitting there looking around and it wasn't that moment. There was a second conference that we had gone to. It was the Women in Auto Care Conference, actually. And it was before the evening kind of party or whatever, where everyone went back and changed. And it was like the Roaring Twenties theme. And it was a lot of fun. And I remember sitting there sharing with you, all these women are amazing. And like, I'm just blown away by all of them. And you stopped dead in your tracks. And you looked me in the face and you said, Jamie, you're talking like you're not one of them. And I just... There's very few people that render me speechless, Bogey. I may be pausing and processing, but very few people can render me speechless. And I was speechless and I sat there and it really stuck with me. And I'm like, God. And I shared that story with this young lady and it may have changed her life, right? That's when I realized in that moment that I didn't become a podcast host and probably you didn't become a TV host for accolades or ego or any of those things. No. And quite frankly, you just wanted to help people. But what comes along with it is this kind of pedestal that you never asked to be on. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Thank
0: you for sharing that story. And it's such an interesting thing. I'm great. And I think a lot of people suffer from this. I'm great at giving advice, not always great at taking it. I am great at lifting up other people, not so good about doing it myself. But ironically, I teach this in a lot of my shop management classes that I teach is that it's not always the big actions, the big broad strokes, the huge things that often it is sometimes as little and subtle as telling your employees that you appreciate them. It is as little as bringing them ice cream when it's a hot day or having tampons in the woman's restroom because you know that sometimes girls get caught off guard. Like sometimes it's the little teeny tiny things that make a huge difference in somebody's life. And so it's interesting that you're calling me out on the fact that I suffer from that same problem. I'm constantly thinking about the broad, big swaths of movement that I want to be doing to make a difference for women in the industry when often it really is the subtle, like just existing, just being visible. And I think all women in the industry are part of this change, like just being, just existing and doing what you do in this industry as a woman is making a huge impact. It is
1: enough. And I
0: tend to forget that.
1: It's enough. We are enough. You are enough. yep, and I say that on so many of my shows. I said, just keep showing up. Yeah, that's it. And again, I apologize for going down this tangent, but I don't.
0: I don't apologize for it.
1: I respect you so much, Bogey. And it's impossible for everyone to get to know everyone. But my hope for you is is that you can really receive it. One, you deserve it. Two, you've earned it. And three, I think the women really want you to know. I appreciate it. And maybe not all of them can tell you, or maybe they get busy with their everyday lives, but I can tell you after sitting down having interviews with them that it's there. I appreciate that. Thank you. And thank you for receiving that. I'm trying. I appreciate it.
0: It's hard, isn't it? I am human and I am fallible and, uh, and I struggle to do that, but I am working on that. I concur. Me too.
1: <laughs> I really struggle with it, sister. But what I have learned and what has been a tough lesson for me is that the gift for me isn't what I'm receiving, but the true gift is me receiving it. That's my gift back to them. In order to give that gift back, I have to be able to receive it because that's all they want. Yeah. They want me to receive it, but it's hard. Yeah. God, is it hard? (laughs) It's
0: so hard. Yeah, it really is. (laughs) Empowering others is easy. Empowering yourself, that's a whole nother story.
1: (laughs) It's crazy, right? (laughs) Right? It's crazy. Mm -hmm. It is crazy. Okay. There's two more. All right, we have more of this red line round or whatever it's called. Yeah. Sorry, I went way down. I couldn't help myself.
0: That's okay. I I still have a kitten asleep on my lap. So,
1: <laughs> what is a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly in this industry when you feel stuck or discouraged? A personal habit.
0: I have two answers. One is reaching out to people, and the other is like filling your toolbox. And we have all of the tools that we collect as mechanics, but kind of filling your toolbox with tools for getting yourself out of a funk, because they're not all going to work in every situation. And you might- Can you
1: name one of your tools?
0: uh, It's anything from talking to friends, to treating myself to breakfast, to taking a bubble bath, to going for a walk, to listening to a TED Talk or- Listening to music that I really like or getting in the car and driving, even though I don't know where I'm going and just drive and there's no destination with the windows down and the music up, having a lot of tools in your toolbox so that at any given point when you are in a rut or you're feeling down that I can reach out and pick up any number of tools Yeah, because not just one is going to work every time. Love it.
1: What is your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in the skilled trades industry?
0: Reach out. You have a huge support system out there that you don't even know about yet. Reach out to people. Reach out to those people you look up to, even if it's not within the automotive industry. Maybe it's somewhere else in another industry. There are people who are willing to help and support you, and you are not alone. You may feel alone in any given moment. You may feel alone as the only woman. You may feel alone as trying to start your own business. You may feel alone in your family, being the odd duck or your family not being supportive. Know that you're not alone. You're not
1: alone. You're not alone. Where and how can people connect with you, my friend, and follow your journey?
0: Um, Social media, obviously. Bogey's Garage is my Instagram handle and my Facebook handle. My TikTok and my YouTube and my Twitter although I don't use any of those nearly as much as I should. Instagram's probably the most one I'm most active on and seriously reach out I am not always the best at keeping up immediately with things, but I do I do truly try my best to respond to everybody who's reaching out. Yeah, if I don't get back to you right away, don't take it personally, but do please reach out, send messages I'll help you out if I can.
1: That's a true statement. We're all crazy busy. Doesn't mean that you're ignoring them. It may be one of those things where, hey, I just, there were so many, I just couldn't get to all of them. But if you happen to see Bogey, I'm always blown away by, you can reference back, hey, I saw that. Didn't get a chance to respond to every single thing, but I saw it. Bogie, thank you so much for being willing to be in the driver's seat and yeah. be the 100th Canate Garage episode. I'm honored to have you on here. And I've thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you as a professional, an entrepreneur, and as a human being. So thank you for being you, my friend.
0: Thank you for being you. And thank you for creating this opportunity for wanting me on as your 100th guest. It is usually humbling and flattering. And uh, it's an honor. I'm grateful for you. And I have one last piece of parting advice. Yes. When life gets you down... Little baby kittens fix everything. (laughs) They do. (laughs) And ice cream. My name is Bogie. I'm a master automotive technician, automotive instructor, and advocate for women in the trades. And I am a femcanic.
1: Miranda Rumfelt is in the driver's seat next. Miranda is a transportation design student with a background in automotive restoration and racing. She was raised in the Motor City by a family of wrenchers. Miranda pursued her passion for cars and decided to enroll in Drive One Detroit, a vocational program where she learned the ins and outs of classic car restoration and race car building. At age 13, she started sculpting production cars and even created her own concept cars as she got older. Miranda just graduated from college and is now working as a clay sculptor for General Motors Design. Make sure you check out next week's episode as this motivated young woman shares her inspiring journey. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, FemCanicGarage.com for swag and the transcribed for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a femcanic?